In an age when only the strongest survived, and only the ruthless triumphed, only one name became a legend. Conan, the Destroyer. In his first adventure, he fought alone. It is written that a woman child must make a perilous journey. I want you to take her on that journey. Now, he joins a wizard. What are they going to do? Have lunch. A warrior. There are six of them against her. One, two, three. A renegade. I think you're right. And a princess. Together, they are sent by a treacherous queen across the lands of hostile kingdoms to solve the mystery of an ancient race and seek the power of a phantom city. You're afraid of magic. And then he comes from evil. This will. Come anyway. The Horn of Dagoth, destroyer of worlds. The god will live again. Enough talk! If they cannot seize the horn in time, the world will be plunged into eternal darkness. Grace Jones, Wilt Chamberlain, Mako, Sarah Douglas, and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan, the Destroyer. The all-new adventures of the most powerful legend of them all. Ciao, people, and welcome to our 178th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick. And as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how's life treating you today? Not too bad. I finally got a break in this nasty, rainy, cold weather. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this week. Fantastic. So I guess uh, if it's a little bit warmer, we'll see you running around in a loincloth as well, like our protagonist in today's movie. 100%. I, my, I just got mine back from the dry cleaner, so I'm all set to go. <laughs> awesome. Because speaking of loincloths, folks, so today we are discussing Conan the Destroyer from 1984. This was directed by Richard Fleischer. Uh, so we get a new director for this sequel. The story, interestingly, was written by two gentlemen whom comic book fans will be very familiar with, a certain Roy Thomas and a certain Jerry Conway, while the score was once again by Basil Poledouris. And an estimate to put in today's money, this movie cost $50 million to make and made $87 million at the box office. So quite the far cry from the first Conan movie. So, uh, you know, Greg, so um, I guess here, yeah, Keith, seeing um, the, you know, the, the pe people writing this movie and the sequel and, and taking it into account, what did you make of this sequel to what was a rather successful first Conan movie? You could definitely tell the tone had changed because of the writers the in the first one they had a lot of those drawn out scenes where they were riding horses for look like you know days weeks and months or whatever and that was just you know a slow point or a lull in the story here they kind of picked up the action and this is um, more reminiscent to your obvious um more uh, action movies you know things that we're accustomed to nowadays with 
you know, the Avengers and X-Men, where it's always like action, 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 some story, action, action. They had that's where they got kind of the same formula in here in Conan. There's a lot of action, a little bit of story, but not a lot of lulls for a lack of a better term. And even the lulls kind of move the story along, at least to a certain extent. So it's definitely a tonal change from the the first movie. Uh, Arnold actually has more lines in this one. I think in the first movie, he had like seven. And then here, he, I think they upped him to like 10 or 12, maybe 14. But ironically enough, some of the supporting cast just dropped off the dialogue. You know, you had uh, Grace Jones. I think she had four lines in the whole movie and then grunted the rest of the time. Will Chamberlain had maybe a handful of lines and the same thing turns into grunts at some random point. So, you know, in some cases where it improved, it dropped off in other areas. So I I can see why it didn't necessarily make as much as the first one or wasn't as much of a box office smash as it were, but it was still, you know, I feel it was a more entertaining watch than the first one it had a lot more action or the pacing was done better. You know, the music was just as good as the first one. So I can't knock the music. I enjoyed it. I, you know, there's not too much to it. You know, there's a lot we we can, we're going to have to unpack with this one. Don't get me wrong, but the movie overall, you know, was a fun watch. So you're so what you're saying is you were definitely happier with the way Thomas and Conway handled the writing compared to what Milius and Oliver Stone did. Yes, there there's definitely this was geared more toward the action comic book, you know, young adults that were probably watching this movie when it came out. You know, I me as a little kid watching this was definitely uh, more entertained with this one than the first one. Well, the first one had lots of fighting and whatnot. This one just ramped it up a little bit more. Were there problems with this one sure 100 percent. nothing is perfect um but I, I definitely for me personally it was more of an entertaining kind of like just turn your brain off and watch them beat each other up kind of movie oh i you know what i very much agree like you said there is very much a tonal shift compared to our first one bearing in mind i think the first one almost felt more adult if you will because added to a lot of blood and guts you actually had you know sex scenes or what passed for sex scenes in the 80s i mean we're not talking the hardcore level of game of thrones but there was there was that raunchiness somewhat to it as well and it seems like almost i guess when they called in fleischer and like i said thomas and conway they probably maybe were like we probably we don't want to do a repeat of conan the barbarian and so make it more I don't know, I guess palpable, possibly make it less less of a pulp comic and make it more maybe what Marvel would then do with the Conan comic themselves. So, I mean, because obviously Thomas and Conway have both worked for both, both big publishing houses, both DC and Marvel. But uh, I think there is almost very much that Marvel touch to it, if you will, or at least 80s Marvel touch to it when it came right. to how the story was handled. So I definitely appreciate that. So I'm like, oh, so this time Conan doesn't get it on with anybody. I mean, granted, okay, he's still pining over Valeria and hopes to someday, you know, because for, for the moment there's no woman outside of Valeria, even though there could be a potential love interest here. But uh, it's very much like I agree with you, geared towards the action, less cinematic, possibly, compared to you know what Oliver Stone did with his writing, where, like you said, you've got a lot of sunsets now, riders riding around uh, uh, that, you know, in the sunset or those kind of moments. It was much more of a couple of words of dialogue, and then we're just going to hack and slash and hack and slash, which I think was good. 
I mean, it, it made it a, much of it more of an 80s action movie. But at the same time, I think certain story beats were sacrificed for more hack and slash. Case no, that's in point, fair. You know, got case in point, character development a little bit. The villains, I think, were greatly sacrificed to a certain extent. It did seem a little bit rushed, especially when you're preparing, you know, to go on this huge adventure where you encounter God knows what, you know, wizards and demons and what have you. And they don't really have their moment to shine, should we say, as boss bosses, if you will, almost to use the word of a video game boss. It's more right. just a group of people just rushing at our heroes. So... It was more, I guess, Conan and his team fighting other teams rather than having somebody like, I guess, the first movie where you had, you know, your main villain who's kind of moving all the crowds. I mean, here you do have our evil queen, but Queen Taramis also doesn't get as much as I would have liked her to have. But by and large, it did go by pretty quickly, I will say. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There, there seemed a lot of rushed points. You know, Conan's sticking point was like, oh, we were going to fight magic. And literally it did it didn't hinder him at all. Like he killed the wizard without even trying. So there was no, not necessarily uh, repercussions to magic. It was just like magic. Ah, and okay. For, never mind. I'm going to throw a sword at him and he's going to be dead. It's like, so you were making a big deal out of nothing. I think the stakes in the first one definitely were ramped up a little bit better. There was more of a, this is a magical element. There's a supernatural aspect to it. Here is just like magic. Cool. All right, whatever, move on. You know, they wave their hands a couple of times, like sleep, sleep. I felt like I was watching, you know, a Star Wars movie where they're like, these are not the droids you're looking for. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to bed now. And, you know, I think the first boss, as you called it, didn't really amount to anything. I was expecting a little bit more. And granted, you know, now that we've seen the Thanos movies and, you know, all the different Marvel movies of today, you they've set that bar pretty high. So when you go back and watch these old movies, you're like, oh, that's all he does. He, he just casts one spell and that, that's it. Oh, okay. I can beat him myself. Like there wasn't the same type of tension as, you know, we're used to with these newer movies. And I guess that's just, you know, product of its time. Oh, yeah, it's very much, like I said, 80s action. I mean, I did like the fact that we got more the team to do more, if you will. And, of course, we'll mm -hmm. discuss that a little bit when we talk about Conan's team. So that was nice that some of them did get their time to shine. It wasn't just about Conan, which, you know, I, I guess was maybe more the first movie where it was very much the, you know, the lone guy who happens to have this ragtag group of people amongst these, the woman he falls in love with. But here, I very much seem, I agree, more of a team effort than Conan versus the world. So, and I appreciate that, which is, which I think is also one of the elements of almost like a proto MCU film, because it also did have elements of what would then become the MCU when it came to certain moments. There was a little bit more levity to this film, there was a little bit more comedy to it, which made me think of, I wonder if, you know, give it to, I don't know, a James Gunn, for example, or a Taika Waititi, Maybe some of this would have made it into their movie had they made a Conan film. And, you know, of course, um, I'm sure we will, we will be discussing this as we progress with our review. But all in all, I thought was a good film. And I was like, it's a shame it didn't get to make more money because we're left at the end of this film with that's a story for another time, which we never got. <laughs> hey, I got to give them credit. They did, you know, they set it up the same way as they did the first one. So theoretically, if it had done well enough, they were like, well, we have the door open for another story and you know they had the wizard as a narrator for both so it was kind of i appreciate the continuity that they kept it going just in case 
you know, nowadays they probably would have made like 400 of these suckers and you'd be like, Conan, you know, Conan's great, 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 great grandson is now on a pillage to reclaim the dad's something or other. And, you know, they would beat that horse until it's dead. So, mm. you know, it is what it is, but I, you know, I, I, it was corny, but at the same time it made me chuckle because you and I both know they didn't make another one, but everyone who watched this movie back then was like, oh boy, when's the next one coming out? Never. <laughs> yeah. Does Conan get to become king? Do we get to finally see a movie in which he's old man Conan? We might do because apparently Schwarzenegger said he would not be reluctant to making another Conan film. So it remains to be seen. And we, I think we might talk about that when we get to the conclusion of this review. But let's let's start at the top by looking at our protagonist himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, returning, but this time as Conan the Destroyer, because they want to give him that title, just like the movie. So what did you make of, uh, of Conan in this one, Keith? Uh, he actually has a little bit more character. And, you know, not by much, obviously, but he, he he grew as a character from the first one. The opening scene is him praying at an altar, which, you know, the first one you didn't really, they talked about religion a little bit and they kind of touched on, you know, a greater power or higher power. This one, that's where it opens up is him at an altar with his cohort, which we have no idea where they came from, but his partner in crime. And and then it just jumps right into action. He gets assaulted. It's not like, hey, sir, are you Conan? Nope. It's literally let's draw swords and start beating the crap out of each other. And I don't know what it is Conan has against animals, but he's knocked out a camel in this movie, a horse. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what does he have against four-legged critters? I thought it was hysterical. The first scene is he punches a horse out. I'm like, what the what is going on? And then they go back to the city that all knows him and his uh Malik was like, hey, don't you know that camel? He's like, yeah, the camel spits at him and he knocks the camel back out. I was like, what are we watching here? Like, this is 100% like a, a comedy type of spoof movie. I almost like, almost like the uh, um, Hot Shots Part 2 or something like that, where they're just really corny or naked gun, where they just throw some weird, like, what just happened moments. But, you know, all in all, it, it was just like a blip on the radar. The story kept going. I do appreciate the fact that he was still pining over his love from the first movie it wasn't like okay i'm gonna sleep with everything that is moving in this movie opposed to the first movie where he slept with every woman he saw so i do like the fact that they for lack of a better term made him more mature as an individual and you know he didn't just go and jump in the sack with every woman he saw he was really you could see that he loved of laria from the first movie and that was still weighing heavily on him and so i like that and it kind of forced his decisions or helped him make certain decisions opposed to others. You know, the princess was throwing herself at him and he was like, Nope, I have a love and you're not going to Nope. Uh, uh. like he shot her down where in the first movie, he probably would have been like, okay, let's go. And off they went. So I, I did like where they, they moved him in that certain direction of a mature, mature -er Conan. So it, theoretically, if this movie had progressed to like a third or a fourth or however many they were going to do, you could see him, growing into that king status opposed to the first one where he's still very much a child in a man's body here he's kind of that young adult ish and then so on and so forth eventually you would get to that point where he would have all that wisdom of a king and you know he'd still carry a really big sword and a really big axe but you know whatever <laughs> but i did like what they did with his character 
You know what? I am right there with you because I'm glad that rather than you scrap everything that Milius and Stone had done in the first one, they decided to carry over and you know keep that continuity in this one. Because like you said, of course, Valeria's dead. Like you, you said, we see Conan praying at her grave and everything. So he is, it definitely does mean something to him. And I do agree. I think he has developed more of a spiritual side to himself because, hey, he actually says Crom quite a few times in this film. He does. So, so I'm actually glad that I guess maybe as he's matured, maybe his spiritual side has matured with it too. So to where he's no longer like, oh yeah, my my culture believes in Crom, but I'm kind of you know not really a believer in him. Here it seems like there is more, there is some sort of faith within Crom. I think possibly because he has encountered so many supernatural things. In his journeys, you know, we know that magic is a thing. So why wouldn't gods be a thing? So I assume that's why he's like, I suppose Crom most likely exists if, you know, these supernatural things exist. And what I also liked was I mentioned almost like the proto-Marvel character to, to, should we say, flavor to this film is the fact that Conan is actually comedic in places. The fact that we literally see him get drunk and you know, totally out of it when he's trying when he's talking to um, Jenna and trying to teach her if where she wants to learn how to be a warrior because she's having that kind of conversation with Zula as well. And Conan's like, "I'll show you how to hold the sword." And then he turns around and bashes into Bombata and just passes out. So I did like that they made him almost more human, if you will, rather than just this mountain of muscle which will literally obliterate anything. They made him more relatable, I think. That's why I say they almost gave him that, gave him that Marvel touch, which we would see more in the MCU. Because in the MCU, you do see a lot of this, of the, heck, look at Thor. Some people were not happy with Love and Thunder. That might have been excessive. But that's what I'm saying is, if Taika Waititi had directed it, you may have had scenes like this with Conan getting drunk and being a complete idiot, rather than... I am gone and I will destroy you. You know, he, he has that thing going. And I really appreciate that. It made me, you know, more invested in the character rather than, okay, this is a mountain of muscle is just going to destroy everything and doesn't really mean much. And like you said, the fact that Valeria means so much to him, he's going on this quest because of Valeria. He's no longer interested in the treasure, in the glory and all this kind of thing. To him, it's that being promised apparently by Taramis that she will bring Valeria back to life. Because I was like, eh, you can't really bribe me with money. I don't care. I can go and get my own. And yeah, the whole Malik thing, it was a bit weird. And I'm kind of upset. We didn't, we never really got the reason where Conan found Malik and how they became buddies or why Malik tagged along. But other than that, I, I like this. And even though it was more action than story in places, I wouldn't have minded a third film, like you said, just to see where Conan goes as a man from this movie. Because we have definitely seen some growth and I definitely appreciate that. And uh, I do like so how I... the end, at the end of the movie, where he separates from his team, he acknowledges each one of them as they leave because they don't want to just abandon him. They want almost like a father figure approval where he gives him the nod. So mm -hmm. it was nice to see that there was an acknowledgement of them being his peers instead of like, we're just following him because we don't want to crush our skulls in or some silly, you know, made up reason. So I, I did actually like that end where he became the bigger man. He's like, nope, you guys do what you got to do. I understand. And I'm going to go and adventure off in my loincloth. 
Yes, because he wants to, you know, I think he wants to make it on his own, literally make his own kingdom, because that's what it is at the end of the day. He rather than have people do it for him. He's like, I want to forge or create my own my own kingdom, be the king of my own country. And right. obviously we get the whole little talk from uh, from uh, Akira later at the end of this film saying, and Conan got his wish and became a king and so on. And but we never get to see it. But uh, I guess then moving on, let's get to Conan's companions in this story. We have two new faces, Grace Jones as Zula and Tracy Walter as Malak. And of course, returning from the first movie is Marco as Akira. So what did you make of our trio, Keith? I'm kind of with you. I, I would have preferred a little bit more screen time for Malik, at least a little bit more backstory opposed to them just going right into it with him being BFFs with Arnold, you know, with uh, Zula, Zula, I can't say her name, Grace's Jones character. It made sense because they showed you right there at that point. Like he, some town person gave him some little exposition dump of like, oh, she was a invader, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, I want to see her fight. And he lets her free or sets her free rather. And she does what she has to do to, you know, escape the city. And she respects him for that. He looks at her and goes, well, if you're this super badass fighter, you should not have a problem with this. And she doesn't, she fights him off with her bow staff and follows along with the rest of the group and asks Conan to, you know, join the, the ragtag team and prove her worth like she basically owes her life to him without necessarily saying she owes her life to him and i I appreciate that she saw him as a natural leader she didn't just like all right deuces a mountain like left but she wanted to pay him back for what he did for her so weirdly enough her character had a lot of growth through the course of the movie but malik just was like the derpy punchline guy that we just need some comic relief I agree. And what did you make of what our wizard got to do in this film? He really didn't do a lot of magic. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. He was he had a couple scenes where he did magic-ish stuff. But and I get it. It's what is this, 1984, 1985, when this came out, there's not a big special effects. So he had we worked with what he got. Yes, he had the whole snake head lifting. He did some telekinesis. I, I like him as a character. He he can, be ser- he can be serious when he has to be, but he can also drop a joke here or there, and which he does in you know, the first and second movie. He, he instills some pearls of wisdom and then kind of makes everybody laugh at the same time. So you see he's powerful. I wish they kind of showed how powerful he really was other than like, hey, look, I found an opening underwater and I'm going to do some telekinesis. You know, I want some fireballs and some, you know, I don't care. Just show some monster, you know, Conjure up some monsters again. I'm spoiled with Doctor Strange, so it is what it is. But I feel like you know the the first boss I meet, he turns into a giant smoke bird. Malik does none of that. You know, we know he's powerful because he helped save Conan in the first movie, but that was like the pinnacle of his magic. That first um, movie, this one, eh? I feel like almost any wizard would have worked out because again, magic wasn't super important as Conan thought it was going to be. It was just like, he was here to tag along, helped us a little bit and keep going. He was really there more to move the story along when they got stuck. Yeah, I definitely think so. And though I, I do feel that they did get to the, our, should we say, uh, secondary characters did get to do a little bit more. I mean, when I saw you know the character of Zula, I thought to myself at first, 
they're going to use her as almost a stand-in for Valeria because we have to have the female warrior, which is fine, but it kind of made me think, are we trying to almost replicate the kind of characters we had in the previous film? Luckily, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that way as much, I think, because Zula is a very different character compared to our other to to Valeria. But you know, she still has the fighting spirit, the warrior spirit, which Conan very much appreciates and respects. And I love that moment where they come into the town and he cuts her chain so that she can have a, should we say, even the playing field when it comes to uh-huh. her fighting whoever she has to fight. And there is that look of recognition, like from one one warrior to another, of you know, that's cool, that's enough for me. I'll I'll take care of it from here. And that's why maybe she oh, because obviously at this point everybody knows who Conan is. Because when we see him like ride into town with Malak, it was like, oh my god, it's Conan, it's this fantastic, this guy's amazing, and so on. So I suppose other than freeing the world, I assume, from the snake cult, <laughs> he's probably done other things in the meantime to gain notoriety and fame because now everybody knows who Conan is. Um, I hope so. I don't know. I, I was thinking that when he walked in town and or rode into town, everyone's like, hey, it's Conan. I'm like, how do you guys know what Conan looks like other than some big mountain dude's going to come riding on a horse? That's Conan. Literally everybody in this movie is a giant mountain of a man. So like, I feel like there could have been a little bit more like, like a poster or something somewhere to show a picture of Conan the Barbarian or the hero of Conan, something. But yes, everybody in this town literally knew who he was. Yeah, I mean, in fact, which is a very stark contrast to the, you know, the first time Conan rode into town where everybody's doing like shifty looks of who the heck is this dude and he punches out the camel. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I mean, I think that's why they, they, they brought it in here again because like, hey guys, remember that camel punching joke? We're going to do it here again. Just to, just to show you that we, you know, that there is continuity here as well. So I guess they, it was also an added thing to that. But yeah, the character of Zula I also liked because it gave... I suppose a fe- a uh, you know a female companion to Jenna to talk to. Granted, their walks of life are very different, oh, but at least but at least I think it it gave you know rather than Jenna being just amongst these guys, I think it was kind of cool that she actually had a a woman to bounce off of, and the fact of wanting to be a warrior or possibly maybe more than likely just to impress Conan. But at least we got that moment, which was kind of fun. It was like, what do I have to do to get a man? You grab him and you take him. Yes, so I guess that's that whole conversation <laughs> on the horses was great. And then she goes up to Malik and goes, So Zula said I should grab him in. Malik's like, Yeah, that's about right. And then and she's like, Well, what do I do next? And he's like, Um, um, I feel like that's the sex talk that every parent has with their kid. They just don't know how to be like, You get naked, he gets naked, and bits fit together. Like, I really like that was what. I pictured what was going on in his head, him trying to explain this to her in a way that didn't offend her. Yeah, it was that talk of when a man and a woman love themselves very much. Mm -hmm. It was that kind of talk. (laughs) I loved it because when a mommy and her daddy really loves each other or, you know, your woman, you know, your mommy loves her mommy or daddy loves her daddy, you know, so on and so forth, whatever, you know, your preference is. But yes, in that, that was the going on in his head and I could see it and I was laughing because you could tell the awkwardness of that whole conversation. I was like, this is amazing. And he didn't, he wasn't trying to be funny. You just, as a grown adult, we know that's a conversation that you really don't want to have or when you have to have it, you have to put it in a very um, certain fashion as to not to traumatize your young ones. So it, it it put a new perspective on it, me being an adult and watching that opposed to me being like, whatever the hell, however old it was, like 14 or 15 when it came out. Me, I'm just like a little kid. And ho, ho, ho. Now I'm an adult. I'm like, oh, that's an awkward conversation. 
<laughs> it is. And it's interesting just how embarrassed, it's curious almost how embarrassed Malik becomes when he has to explain this to him, because you think if he's been hanging around Conan, granted Conan may not be sleeping around as much now because of Valeria, but Malik being in his circle, I have a feeling he may have frequented the odd hall pit here and there, or the odd, should we say, brothel here and there, and has probably seen his share of ladies, I'm assuming, you know, the life he leads. You're probably going to roll into a tavern, and if you have the money, you know, you might buy yourself a couple of drinks and a woman if you can afford it, I suppose. So... I was kind of surprised when it came to how awkward he was, but it also I spent, I think it plays to the character that Tracy Walter is playing here. Cause he's very much the, com the comedic uh, member of the group. I mean, cause he mainly is the thief. He's the literal thief. So wherever they go, he finds jewels like, Oh, pretty. And like Malik, we have to go. And he's ripping jewels off. Cause he doesn't care. And he swallows them. <laughs> I just want to mention that. Like I think he's going to have to pass it at some point or try to throw it back up. Either way, it's not going to end well for poor Malik unless he's done this before, in which point good on him. But yeah, I'm just chuckling. That was again, another one of those scenes being an adult. Now you're like, Ooh, that's going to hurt so much. <laughs> he's trying to swallow everything I'm like dude you got pockets just stick them in your pockets it's okay we're not going to take it from you <laughs> yes and i mean at first i was like okay this guy is literally the rob schneider character to 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 uh, to um schwarzenegger's judge dread because yes. that was the kind of relationship they seem to have for the most part I mean, we do see Malik kill a couple of people himself. He has these little daggers. He hops on people's <laughs> horses and stabs them in the back. Or even when they're already dead, just to make sure he stabs them again. He's like, look, I killed this guy. But, yeah, uh, he, that, that's so he could add his two cents. He's like, I helped out. You're like, bro, you stabbed a dead body. Like, but it's just so he can put his two cents in. Like, he wanted to feel like he helped. He's yeah. if you remember the old Aladdin cartoon, he's monkey in Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. He is kind of the Abu character. I agree. Yes, he is Abu, 100%. He just grabs shiny stuff and keeps going. You're like, stop it. Put it down. Put it down. It's the Cave of Wonders, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's true because you do kind of get our own sort of Cave of Wonders in this film. Um, but yeah, so I guess he is mainly the, the tag-along comedic character, which is really what he does throughout the course of this film. Heck, even when he's like, I don't want to go into battle. Everybody goes like, okay, I'll come as well. Don't leave me here. Yes. I don't want to be left alone and runs off. He's like, first it's, I don't want to fight. And then, Hey, wait for me. I'm like, pick a, pick a lane guy. <laughs> yes. So Malik, I think very much is, is, is that kind of character. And he was kind of fun. And though, they, like I said, I was reminded of Stallone and, and Rob Schneider in, in judge dread, but uh, this is, this is probably done a little bit better, I think, which is saying a lot, I think, but there you go. Um, and when it comes to Akira, at least yeah, I think he got to do a little bit more granted. We didn't see any animated lightning bolts coming from his hands or anything like that, which I, I would have actually expected, but we got a lot of the humming and the almost, uh, I guess it seemed Chanting. almost, yeah, chanting, exactly. Very, very more almost Buddhist kind of, if you will, where it's like yeah. they're doing a battle of chants, him and the other wizard that they, that they encounter. So, and he does use it mainly, I guess, to open doors and lower doors. But I, at a certain point, I think he almost kills or kills one of the other wizards by seemingly giving him a heart attack. Or something like I, that. I was like, wow. Something like that. I don't really know exactly what it was, but yeah, we'll go with a heart attack. I think that's what he was trying to do because it's kind of like they had this almost a battle of the minds, if you will, without, you know, flashy special effects of lightning bolts or, or what have you. Like you yeah. Might, yeah, like you might have in a Doctor Strange uh, movie these days. But I think he got to do a little bit more. And I, I think here we lost that veneer that he had in the first film of being that Yoda character of, 
I'm comedic, but I actually know my stuff. Here that was gone. It's literally, I know my stuff. And people come to me because I know my stuff. And I'm no longer be the, be, you know, play the silly guy who's you mm-hmm. know just play acting. So I like that that is gone. And the fact that then he's recognized as the greatest wizard in the land. And <laughs> I'm like, fantastic. You know, so You're good like, for okay. you. <laughs> Shit happened between the first movie and this movie. He apparently, like, I don't know, cured the plague for all we know. And he is now the greatest wizard ever. Like, everybody knows who he is. That's right. So. <laughs> and literally the first one, nobody knew who he was. He was just some dude, some hermit in a, a, a hut somewhere. Like, he was just some guy hiding. Now he is the greatest wizard ever. He's Merlin. <laughs> yes, at least according to Queen Jenna anyway. So I guess uh, right. she maybe hasn't seen that many wizards. We're like, this guy will do. I'll have him as my wizard. <laughs> He's smart enough. He, he knows things. Yeah, we're not going to do tryouts or anything. This guy got the job. Nope. Sorry. 100%. There's Everybody's no nepotism talk- here. <laughs> no, exactly. But but no, it was it was a fun little trio. So I yes. guess then let's let's get to the lady whom Conan is tasked to protect and lead to her destiny. And of course, her <laughs> evil bodyguard. We have, of course, Olivia Jane Dabo as Princess Jenna, and believe it or not, NBA star Wilt Chamberlain as Bombata. So what did you make of these two, Keith? Well, you know, I, I appreciate Jenna. For the fact that she, her, she's literally never been outside of this castle. So she's very naive to the world. And she is almost the audience in that respect, where we don't really know what's going on in uh, Captain, Captain, there you go, Conan's universe per se. So she's kind of like our eyes and ears and does dumb things like we probably would do if we were in that universe. Um, but she also has that certain level of arrogance because she's royalty in her kingdom so she's like don't you know who i am or didn't they tell you you have to listen to what i do and so she's like slightly arrogant and completely ignorant to the world all at the exact same time so it's like you can kind of see depending on the situation different aspects of her personality to come out you know when they're just walking around and they're following her you know conan points out he's like do you know where you're going and she's like i'm this is where it led me and we're like okay, I, I see that, but do you know where you're going? And she gets very like, of course I do. But then two minutes later, she has this whole awkward conversation about getting a man. So at to a certain extent, I feel like she was trying to like impress him. But then at the same time, she was pulling the, you know, I'm a princess, I know everything kind of card. And Babarda, while it's Wilt, and he, you know, has did some weird acting over his years. I just don't think they utilized him very well that could have been literally any person and not not a knock against will chamberlain at all it's just it was such a basic generic character and it was like well we need a guy and i I know i have a friend of mine he's not doing anything that you know for the next two weeks no yeah who is it will chamberlain what like yeah he's like nine feet tall and you know he can give you know, Conan a run for his money in terms of, you know, statue because Arnold was a big dude at that point in time. So I feel like while he was a good enough character, they could have used anybody. He was very generic bodyguard. He's was just there to like make sure she didn't sleep with anybody and to make sure that Conan got, you know, slowed down when they were escaping. So eh, he Again, not a knock against him, just felt very generic. Nothing unique about him, opposed to the other characters 
in the ensemble. You know, you have the wizard, you have the thief, you have the Amazonian, and then you have the princess, and then you have dude with a hammer. You're like, all right, whatever. Or mace with a hook. You're like, all right, whatever. And he's clearly got ulterior motives because, as we all know, if you're wearing black in a movie, you have to be the bad guy. And all the bad guys in this movie were wearing black. So you're like, well, he's going to do some sketchy shit. And every so often, you'd think he would kind of change his mind or switch sides because he would see Conan do something and you'd kind of see him question what the queen asked him to do. And then like the next scene, he's like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to go murder this asshole. Like, no big deal. One scene, he's questioning stuff. And then the next scene, he's like, all right, going to go crack our heads open. So I think they just really didn't know what to do with his character too much. There was then that's why he was so shallow and didn't have a lot of definition to him opposed to some of the other characters in this group. Well, you know, I have to admit, and I will definitely recite a mea culpa here because I actually figured that halfway through this film, Bombato would actually change allegiances and be one of Conan's gang because Uh I guess maybe I'd seen it before and I was like, ah, I have a feeling that he's eventually going to be on his side and they'll, you know, ally to, to fight the queen. But obviously that didn't happen. And also another thing I, I definitely have to have to recite another mayor culpa for was when Queen Taramis instructs Bombata of one, making sure that Jenna's virginity is preserved and that Conan's heart is, you know, that his, his he will pierce Conan's heart with his sword, that Conan will die before they get to the back to the palace, was when she says preserve Jenna's uh, virginity, I'm like, yeah, like that's going to happen because you know that Conan's going to get her as soon as he can. And so I apologize to Conan for being a be- <laughs> for being the better man. You know, for me being horrible and thinking, oh yeah, he's going to sleep with her the first chance he gets. But I, I, I that's why uh, Conan impressed me for for not doing that. Um, but I, you know, starting with the Jenna character, I agree. I mean, we clearly see that she's led so far from what we you know, for little we know about Princess Jenna, a very sheltered life, I suppose. I think she's pretty much always lived with Queen Taramis forever because she was grooming her to be this sacrificial virgin in order for Dagoth to return or to rise. And so maybe that's all she knew. In fact, I believe she actually says the only man she's ever seen was Bombata. Because that's when she goes, don't you think Conan is handsome? You know, and, and he's like, oh, and he's like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, you're the only guy I've ever seen. So, you know, I suppose she really, she really hasn't been around in the world much. And you can tell that she hasn't because she's very much used to, like you said, people um, literally doing everything she asks for and being kind of, you know, the, related to the queen. So she will get her, her will no matter what. I will say it was getting a little bit on my nerves where whenever she was in trouble, she'd go, Bombata, Bombata, help me. And I'm like, jeez, you know, and she's running around. I get she's a young kid, if you will. But still, after a while, the fact that she kept screaming for Bombata to save her, I was like, oh, man, really? And then later on, she's like, I want to become a warrior. Because I'm sure in her mind, she's like, if I can show Conan, I can be a warrior He'll sleep with me. You know, he'll become my king when I when I inherit the kingdom. And in fact, she we see this her hold on to this right till the end, where she literally offers her hand in marriage to Conan. She's like, rule the kingdom with me. And he's like, nope, sorry. No, <laughs> he's a kick rocks. He's like, get out, go away. <laughs> yeah. He, Can we talk about this awkward kiss that they have? Like that was just like cringe worthy <laughs> awkwardness where she leans in to kiss him and he just has this like. What the fuck are you doing? Look on his face. 
And then he just walks away and doesn't even turn around again. And you see this like one little tear. I'm like, oh, this is so so corny. Like, don't get me wrong, the whole movie is corny. But like this, would like that was like the icing on the cake in terms of corniness when that happened. Yeah, it was because he does not return the kiss. He's completely cold to her because she's. I mean, as I said, she's holding on to hope. It's like if I kiss him and offer him my kingdom, of course he'll become my my husband. No, oh, that's not how it right. works. That's not how it works. I mean, even when she, when he tells her about Valeria and how that, granted, he's he's had a, few, a one too many at that point, but he's still kind of telling her how he feels about Valeria, and he's still mourning. Jenna doesn't get the hint. She's literally like, you know, I can still get him, and that's why you know <laughs> she asks, she asks um, Zula for her advice. Often you see this in when it comes to guys who don't take no for an answer. They will right. keep insisting, even though the, uh, the other party has made it clear they are not interested. Jenna yes, doesn't exactly. want to hear it. So it was interesting to see it be a, should we say, played by a female character rather than a male character where they keep insisting and insisting and insisting. But, you know, Conan, I think, is also very gracious as the way he does deal with it. And I'm so glad also we didn't have any moments of like Jenna sneaking into his tent at night or something like that. I was glad we didn't get that because that would have been, I think would have made it a bit of a service to the character. But No, 100%. Really, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, because we have seen that as well, where already we could tell she has the hots for him. But, you know, we have seen other films in which the, char- the, the female character is so madly in love with the, with the man who seems impossible to reach. She will literally leap into his bed saying, take me now, or something like to that effect. But I'm glad yeah, we don't she- get that. They just think that the other character is playing hard to get. They're like, aha, if I show up naked, he's going to love me. You're like, no, he literally said no. And I think that kind of goes back to showing how naive she is in the world or in the, the ways of the world, because she just thinks that, you know, if I keep pushing the the issue or, you know, whatever, it's going to miraculously get better. And he's like, no, I'm good. Thanks for playing. Have a nice day. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much what he what he has to say. Bombata, I think, you know, I was first surprised that it was Wilt Chamberlain because obviously I know him more as the NBA star that he was. You know, my father was also a big fan of his, as a, you know, as an, an NBA player. And I was like, wow, this guy looks, you know, reminds me of somebody, you know, seeming like super towering over everybody else. And he seemed familiar. And when I went to see, I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's basketball player Wilt Chamberlain, really? And I, I love the casting. Because, you know, sometimes when you do cast athletes in, uh, in movies, more often than not, you won't get the most, should we say, uh, convincing acting performances out of them. But I think Wilt does have some acting chops. You know, he, you know he's not, you know, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis by any stretch of the imagination, but he does have acting chops, I think. And it was very weird that obviously when he gets told to kill Conan and when we get the um, members of the Queen's army arrive and attack them and Bombata kind of charges Conan, Conan like, you know, pushes him off. And Conan doesn't really question it too much. I mean, he is suspicious, but not as much as I think he'd be because like, oh, I thought that you were trying to kill the princess. That is such a lame line, dude. I mean, anybody can see that is BS. You're like, oh, I thought you were going to take advantage of the princess. That's why I attacked you when it's clear that you're trying to kill him because you have a, you have a a second agenda, if you will, you have your own agenda to what you're meant to do. And you would think that like, 
Conan would have like started piecing little bits together. And this kind of just goes to his lack of experience. He's not, you know, dumb or stupid or by any stretch of imagination. It's just lack of experience. But you would have thought when the first set of guards he kills and then he starts acting, you know, when Bard starts acting a little sketch, Conan would be a little bit more on guard, but he's like, nope, let's just keep going. It's fine. Like, no big deal. Yeah, because when Bombarda gives him that cock and bull story of I was protecting the princess because I thought you had uh, other motives, Conan, I think, does give him a little bit of a look, but he's like, okay, let's just carry on. He doesn't like think to himself, maybe I should keep a close eye on this guy because he might just turn around and totally you know, betray me, which, of course, he does. Right. He obviously hits down, knocks down the rocks and buries them. And that you have to love how they get through tons of rocks in like two seconds. I just wish rocks bounced off of me as well as they bounced off of Conan when he's climbing over that giant mountain of rocks over there. I'm sitting there and like, they're just moving. Like it's no big deal. I'm like, I get it. Conan is supposed to be stupid strong, but at the same time, he just climbs over him. He's covering dust. Those are jagged ass rocks. You should be cut to shit. There should be like some scratches, literally something. And he's just like, Nope, I'm good. And then they get out there and they can't find where they went. There's only two possible places these guys could have gone to, and you guys were confused for where that might be. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I love the fact that he literally bends bars, and the rest of the group doesn't isn't even amazed that he's bending bars of right? steel like it's nothing. They're like, oh, it's Tuesday. Conan bending shit again. I'm like, all right. Yeah, because they're they're having their little conversation in the background. Conan's like, and he just literally bra- you know, pries the bars open with his bare what? hands. I guess because of that previous scene where he and Bombarda lifted like a mountain to open that door, they must not have been super surprised that, you know, again, dude man can bend raw iron with his hands. But yeah, they were just like, so it's your cousin's brother's uncle's sister's blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. It's my uncle's sister's cousin. And he's just like, do, 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 do. I'm just going to bend these. No big deal. Don't mind me. Like it's a something he does for fun. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and I, I did like, we got, Quite an, in, a, an interesting fight between Conan and Bombata when they finally reach the Queen's Palace and Dagoth is being resurrected, if you will, brought back. That was a, a decent fight. I mean, luck, I'm glad that he wasn't you know, murdered in two seconds. They, he did give Conan some run for his money. So I did appreciate that. That was good. But yes. uh, but yeah, the, the bar bending thing I just thought was hilarious because everyone's just like talking. I mean, it's not like it's Superman that you know the guy has it in him where you're just like, boom, done. <laughs> and the guy was literally making an effort. I mean, at least he tried to show it's not that, that easy. I do have to focus some of the incredible strength I have in order to, to, to pry bars open. So there is, there is that. Um, oh, no, I, I agree with you. It's just something that they at least showed him struggling a little bit. So it wasn't like as like, simple everything and even when he did have the matchup there was it was surprisingly more evenly matched than people may have expected yeah. and i think it's also the fact that you know again dude man is seven two or something and <coughs> versus conan oh exactly exactly so so that's why i was i was glad that there was something there and it wasn't just boom you're dead move on let's move on to the next villain and speaking of villains then 
let's get to our evil queen and the monster that is unfortunately evoked due to the sacrifice ritual remaining incomplete, i.e. Jenna not being killed. We have Sarah Douglas, who, of course, we'd uh, you know, we'd seen in the Superman films as Ursa. So she'd played a villain before as Queen Taramis and of all people, Andre the Giant as Dagoth. So what did you make of these two characters, Keith? You would, if I didn't look it up, I would never realize that was Andre the Giant. It's kind of funny, but it is her. She reminded me very much of her Superman character. Granted, she's evil, and you can only play evil so many ways. Did she play the part well? A hundred percent. Was she perfect for it for the time? Definitely. So it was a. It wasn't too much outside of her wheelhouse. It wasn't like you know you saw her in her first movie where she was this superhero or this you know damsel in distress in one movie and then you turn on and you see her in this movie and she's you know queen bee you've seen her before she was queen bee and she's queen bee again so it wasn't too too much and then andre the giant is andre the giant so you know it's not like he really had a lot of dialogue in this movie we'll go with that yeah that's that's fair i mean but did you did you like the design of dagoth uh, it was weird I, I was i don't know what i was expecting but I wasn't expecting like, this weird l- melted man fish gill monster thing and this weird mouth whatever going on. I, I, I'm not sure what I was expecting considering they had a statue of a giant person. I maybe was expecting a, a person of some type to be resurrected opposed to, you know, swamp thing. So, but I get it's supposed to be that the, the, some, the ceremony was twisted even though you know they were warned and everybody was warned that if you resurrect him it's going to be the destroyer of the world and blah 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 and her you know the queen's ignorance is like well we can control him no clearly you can't because they killed him once before like wh- nothing has changed since he was here last time or the first time or whatever time it was so the ignorance of man come back to bite her in the ass basically uh, the the fight was i'm not gonna say underwhelming but it was a little underwhelming just for the fact that you expected him to be a little bit more powerful he is supposed to be a god on earth and conan is holding his own and then the wizard's like oh yeah rip his horn out because that's his power you would have thought he would have let off with that when he goes to fight said monster like go for the horn it's his power instead of like slicing and dicing and literally everything else you would just gone for the horn, ripped it off, and called it a day. But I get it. They had to, you know, build up the big bad and have a battle and so on and so forth. Um, could have gone a little bit longer. Not really. It's one of those, it was on, it went on long enough to, before it got to that boring point. You're like, is he dead yet? No. God, son of a, will you kill him, please? You know, so it, it was, they had to justify the, the horn getting and the calling the God back down to earth and the ceremony getting twisted, which if the princess really needed to be killed as much as she was supposed to be or sacrificed, you would have thought there'd be like 10 guys with knives just in case the first priest fails. There's nine other idiots to stab her to death. So again, you're not waiting on one person. You have 10, but whatever, I get it. It's supposed to build up the suspense and so on and so forth. And also you have to, I think maybe this also plays to how naive and innocent Jenna is, that she doesn't realize 
that she's being groomed to be a sacrificial virgin to bring back this god. I mean, I, I obviously I'm sure Taramis never told her, but you'd think seeing the way she behaves, she's like, hmm, you know, maybe she is a little bit shady and that maybe I shouldn't trust this woman as much as I seem to trust her. Because even when they, they get to, I mean, I, I guess they drug her at one point before the yes. ceremony to keep, I guess, yes. docile. So that's maybe why she doesn't really react at that point. But, you know, moving, you know, building up to that, you think she maybe questions the fact of maybe the queen, when she's kind of sending me to do this stuff, you know, and get all these, get this horn and such, Maybe she has something else planned because, hey, in this particular universe, human sacrifice is, you know, something that happens every day. It's almost like a normal thing. I mean, we saw it even in the first film where you'd have these sacrificial virgins for the snake gods. So well, you would have you know, thought somebody would have slipped and been like, oh, don't forget, when you get that horn, you're about to get a knife through the chest and die. Like, just accidentally let it slip or feel bad for her because she doesn't know. You would have thought. And I guess this is more because of Game of Thrones and a lot of these other types of shows that have, you know, sketch characters trying to groom somebody. Somebody realizes what's going on and kind of slips the, the lead character a note like, don't drink the water, it's sour or it's poisoned or whatever the case may be. So I, it's almost like you would think that would happen here, opposed to everybody just blindly following the queen and the head priest. But nope, they're just like, we're going to go along with this. And even when the wizard tries to tell Conan, he brushes him off like, no, that's not a saying. That's not really going to happen. And meanwhile, it's literally etched in stone. This is what's going to happen. And when they tell the princess, she just kind of like shrugs it off. Everybody just thinks it's a joke. Yeah, they just don't buy into it, which, as I said, I thought was very odd because as the adventure was going, I'm like, Jenna, don't you realize that the queen <laughs> wants to kill you? I mean, you've, you know, there are constant stories about like either wicked stepmothers or what have you want to kill the, the, you know, whoever it is. And the fact that, you know, she's so careful about you not having sex and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I get maybe, maybe Jenna thought she would just be there to usher in Dagoth, but not be killed. Kind of like, I suppose. I think of like a mythological story of like unicorns, which can only be tamed by virgins. So, but they won't, the, the woman won't be killed. So it might be that kind of thing of almost like, he's almost like a unicorn, if you will. He won't kill me, but I have to be pure in order for him to arise. And, and but there's you know, no harm will come to me, but it, it does, I think, play to, to Jenna's naivete. Uh, you know, Sarah Douglas is great when it comes to playing villains, like you mentioned, as Ursa in the Superman, in the classic Superman movies. She did a great job. And I think she very much did channel Ursa in Taramis as well, in just the way she acts. And you can clearly tell she's evil from literally line and page one. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Shows, as soon as she shows up, you're like, it's Sarah Douglas. She's probably bad news. So well, uh, it, it doesn't yeah. hurt that the very first thing you see her, she's watching Conan slaughter her men and she says nothing. And eventually after Conan has wiped out the entire squad, she's like, okay, just kidding. We want to just make sure you're who you say you are. Like, what the crap? Are you serious? You literally like sat there and waited for him to slaughter all of these people before you're like, time out. Let me talk to you for a minute. So that's kind of the first red flag. You're like, well, you know, she's evil. Exactly. I mean, I did like the fact that she's able to literally cast a glamour on on uh, Conan when she shows him, you know, the the the, the um, uh, Valeria's tomb catching on fire and her promising that if he helps her out, 
she will bring Valeria back to him. And I do, but I'm, I'm sure Conan actually believes it. If not, he wouldn't have gone on the quest. And secondly, I think he's just so desperate for it to be true that the, the Valeria can come back, that he's partly, you know, been bewitched. But secondly, I think he's just is so bereft of Valeria that he wants to believe that somebody can bring her back from the dead. And, you know, I think also plays the strength. It shows you what how beguiling Queen Taramis is in doing what she does. Um, when it came to, to Dagoth, I assume we should have gotten something more akin to the statue. The problem was, you know, like, like even you mentioned, since Jenna's throat did not get cut in time, we got the perverted, distorted version of that. But at the same time, even if he had been resurrected in his, shall we say, more beautiful, handsome form, I, he would have been a tyrant anyway. Like they often say, if they, if they took the horn away and hid it, there has to be a reason. Right. If, there's, if there's 25 warning messages on a door, do not unlock, do not open by any means, or the world will be destroyed. They mean it. Don't say, okay, we'll open it anyway, just because we want to see what's inside. So um, there has to be a reason for that. And so either Queen Taramis has not kept up on her scrolls so much, or she's just <laughs> so um, arrogant, like, you know, to your point that I am powerful enough to control this creature where other people have failed. So maybe it is very much a question of hubris of even if he does come back in his right form, I'll still be able to control him and use him as my weapon. So there could be very much that, that hubris and that arrogance, which is almost like a contrast to the princess who's very, should we say innocent and naive. So there could be that as well, possibly. Yeah. It's gotta be something. I, I, that's one of those things that always cracked me up in these movies and don't get me wrong. People nowadays still do the exact same thing. It's why we have warning labels on shit and people still do dumb shit. But the fact that they took the time to describe this in every single language known to mankind at that point, like, do not open, do not resurrect, never, ever, ever, do not touch. 100% would have been like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, well, I can nope. Like, clearly they couldn't control him however many hundreds of years ago this was. We're not better off. It's not like we have, like, machine guns and cars and flying whatever, you know, dragons and shit like that. It's literally, you know however much period of time has passed from the one time frame to the next time frame, like, eh, we don't, we're not much better off. Like, no, leave it the fuck alone. And uh, even I'm, then they yeah. said it was a few hundred years for the, the girl to be resurrected with the mark. I'm like, all right, guys, come on. And where Red was flags. this mark? May I, may I ask? Uh, it was on her chest. On okay. Her so she didn't bosom. have a chest. It, was like, she it just looked like a weird birthmark. Cause it was when she was in one of the scenes, she was holding the horn, I think it was, and she took her layer of her straw off. You saw it; it was on her uh, left uh, chest, left side right. of her chest. You could see it was, and, but it was like a little like pink mark the size of a quarter. Okay, well, thank you, because I was literally trying to see whether she had like a birthmark on her arm or the back of her head, or so. I guess you know, I did not notice this, but thank you for for pointing that out, Keith. Um, I don't know yeah, if they put it in in the rest of the movie and they waited like that was the point where they're like, "Shit, we forgot the mark," and they literally went in there with like a sharpie or something and drew a circle on her. <laughs> that, that could that could be the case. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, like Olivia, come here. We didn't give you the mark yet. Come here. So so they did that real quick. Um, but yeah, so so I like what Sarah Douglas brought to this uh, this queen that I would maybe would have liked her to have done even more because she is a commanding presence rather than have Dagoth. And I guess you had to have Dagoth because 
Conan, you know, is a strong man. And so you have to have a, a strong beast for him to fight. But it would mm-hmm. have been cool had the ultimate challenge been magic. So him versus Queen Taramis, who knows her, her stuff when it comes to magic. So I was a little bit upset about that, but it was kind of like, okay, he's a strong guy. It's almost like, you know, you have Superman and Doomsday kind of thing going, going on. So we'll play to the fact that they're both physically strong. Right. Basically, I would have preferred a little bit more magic. And even granted, we didn't see it until literally the MCU where they build up the universe a little bit more. So you see the queen rise to power and discover the scroll and so on and so forth. And then find the baby with the mark who conveniently happens to be her what niece, I think it is. Niece, yeah, or daughter. Is conveniently happens to be her niece. Um, so I, it would have been... I don't know, interesting to see if they'd done, you know, back then where they kind of added to a little bit more of the lore of the Conan universe. You know, they show you magic. Exactly. And also, what was with the the major threat of the wizard who wasn't really a threat? Oh, you mean the guy who got killed with a toothpick, essentially? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, P.S., you know, Grace's character threw her... Spear, I have no idea how far, but that was impressive because she hit him like square center, dull tip and all, just ran it right through him, which is just goes to show you how strong uh, her character is as a warrior that while she looks, you know, her frame is not giant muscular like Conan. She has the warrior spirit. She was able to kill him from across a room by throwing a spear. But yeah, that was just very like okay, that's how you're going to die. All right, that's about right. And the fact that he just vanishes into the crystal, I'm like, is he inhabiting the crystal then at this point? Because then they take the crystal off and it's, should we say, one piece in order to get the horn. But I was like, oh, yeah. you've taunted this the, this uh, this uh, this um, wizard as being like one of the most evil things. And actually in the Howard books, he is literally Conan's ultimate nemesis because uh-huh. of the fact of, wizards and uh, swords and sorcery. That's what it literally is. That's why Conan is so, should we say, not scared. Well, I guess you could say scared. I guess we'd say scared a little bit because he does realize. Be a good, right. I mean, even though he's like, oh, I'm not frightened, but he is concerned. I think concerned is the thing because it's like magic. I might have problems with and no surprise. His ultimate villain or antagonist in the, um, in the novels, or should we say in the stories, is a wizard. And he's literally the one that Conan is almost unable to beat because he is so powerful. And I was hoping that that was the route they were going to go down here. But it was like, boom, vanish into the crystal. And then the weird creature that could be killed with the mirrors, mirrors shattering. Clever concept, but still a little bit strange. Right. I, I agree with you with that. It, it's one of those. And it was purely by dumb luck that he discovered that if it breaks the mirror, that the as they call him in the um, cast, the ape man, because it doesn't look yeah. like an ape at all, but whatever, no. it looks more like the toxic Avenger, which is funny. <laughs> yes. um, he purely by accident realized that if I break the mirror, it hurts the monster. And he just keeps going and going. And there's two mirrors left. And he's like, well, one's the wizard and one's my friend. I'm like you have a 50, 50 chance. I, I personally, it would have been, and I, I get it for the time they wouldn't have done this, but it would have been a little more interesting. Like if he chose the wrong mirror by accident, and he didn't mm. kill one of his friends, but he hurt them. And it's kind of slowed him down. And the wizard, the first wizard got away and they had to go chase him down a little bit and kind of move, help the story kind of keep going for a little. Cause it just, it was very like, 
oh no, the wizard, and he's dead, and we're out, and the Fortress of Solitude is collapsing. You're like, well, that was very uneventful. Like, he didn't need all 12 of you to come with him. He could have done this by himself. Yeah, because then they turn around like it was all an illusion as, as everything uh, disappears. The first thing that popped in my head, I was like, do you guys understand how illusions work? Like, illusions are not solid objects. Illusions are things you can pass through. They, they deceive the eye, not, hey, look, it's a rock, or it's a castle, or it's, again, a fortress of solitude. Whatever you want to call it. Like, that's not how illusions work. The ape man that he fought, that was an illusion. I'll give you that one. But the castle was definitely not an illusion. No. And that's why I was, as I said, I was just a little bit uh, disappointed because they were just talking about how, how cool and scary this, this wizard was. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, our main course, if you will, or final boss was literally Dagoth. You know, if you want yeah. to really, really sort of say, you know, the- see it as such. Yeah, these are a couple of sub-bosses, and then the big baddie was the rhinoceros. Yeah, that's what it all, at the end of the day, uh, amounted to. But uh, I guess I guess there we have it, and that's that was pretty much our movie. And then, of course, we got uh, a little narration from uh, Akiro telling us, of course, that Conan went on to have other adventures. But, you know, that's a story for another time, I guess. As he <laughs> and yes. speak, speaking, actually, of which, Keith, I mean, I have heard that, apparently, like I mentioned, Schwarzenegger has been approached of the idea of doing an old man Conan kind of story. If they did that, would you be interested in seeing it? I I think so. I think he is now at that age that um, he, the wizard alluded to at the end where he's like, Conan has seen some shit and he's now got his kingdom and he's old and grizzled and again, seen some shit. And you see him kind of with that old man makeup air quotes guys uh old man makeup he's now i would say close enough that age or older that i could totally see him playing you know old man conan and passing the baton on to somebody else like his son grandson whatever the case may be because you know for all we know is he could have calmed the lands he could have conquered everything and ruled not necessarily like an iron fist, how it sounds, but he could have ruled and everybody had a, there was peace and then, you know, magic happened. And then something caused him to have to kind of dust off the sword and go to war again. So I would be interesting to see if they had, they do that. I would definitely watch it just because, you know, I'd enjoyed these two. Yeah. Same here. I would also like to see either, like you said, we get a, passing of the torch situation, kind of like what happened with uh, the Rocky movies turning into Creed, if you will, which is pretty much what happened because Rocky became mentor to Apollo Creed's son. While as here, you, you know, you could maybe have something similar to that or or it literally being Conan's last hurrah where, you know, he's able to, like you said, maybe let, get out of retirement, kind of like a Red, I suppose, get out of retirement, <laughs> have, have his last adventure, win the win the battle but you know it taking a toll and killing him and that's the end of that if you will kind of like i suppose they you know you'd see you see in the story of beowulf who you know fights his final battle when he's you know a little bit older and has conquered everything i believe he, he fights a dragon as his last uh adversary and dies he kills the dragon but he dies as well so they right. could go that route of a beowulf mythology where it's the last final big bad and if you've beaten this You've beaten, you finished the game, but you might die in the process as well. And that's the end of it. And everybody will forever honor the legend of Conan. Yeah. And they do mention in the beginning dialogue that this 
the Conan time frame takes place between two different eras. So theoretically, him passing away in the you know the old man Conan arc, we'll call it, would make perfect sense that they move on to whatever the next you know period of time is in their Conan universe, and that would make actually perfect sense for a transition story to the next character they wanted to introduce. Yeah, exactly. If they then want to do a spin-off or Lord knows what, but I, I definitely hope it comes to fruition and it won't end up in development hell. Hopefully it will and there's enough interest. Like I said, I mean, I know that uh, from what I've read, Schwarzenegger's interested, but then again, you have to see whether the studio's interested, who's prepared to finance it and what have you. Heck, maybe maybe Schwarzenegger himself might produce it. Who knows? So it could, it could, be, like, could be like Stallone has produced some of his films. I think this, if they did it, it could be something like um, an Amazon exclusive. I feel like that'd be an Amazon exclusive type of thing, just because that it's that crazy over the top. And it's been, what, 1980-something when this movie came out? So I, I could almost see that not necessarily garnering, garnering um, big studio release, considering you know Terminator Genesis didn't do very well, and the other Terminator movies, the Dark Fate didn't do very well. Um, again, not his fault, poor writing, 100%, but the fact of the matter is that it's unfortunate his name is tied to those movies, and they're like, well, your last two big budget movies were crap. Well, it's because it was bad writing, not because of anything else. So, yeah, that's right. I, I think this would be a good, or, you know, Peacock, or, you know, pick your streaming service. I think a new Conan movie would be good for a streaming service, not big budget, you know, or, you know, movie theater type. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I guess just kind of like Amazon picking up, um, you know, Schwarzenegger's latest superhero film, if you will, I could, I could definitely see, uh, you know, Prime do that or, um, or, or what have you. But yeah, I guess, I guess we shall wait and see. So going back to this film, Keith, what do you give it out of 10? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to stick with my tradition. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with a, a six and a half. It, it was a fun watch. I, I think it improved in the first movie in some areas. It detracted in others, but you know, that's, you know, writers issues, not necessarily Schwarzenegger's problems. So I enjoyed it. Do I recommend it to people? hundred percent. If you like the cheesy eighties movies, y'all should watch it. It's a fun laugh. It's so over the top corny in some cases, and then it's, you know, super serious in others. And plus, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, it was written by two uh, famed comic book writers like, uh, you know, uh, the ones we talked about, of course, you know, so the Thomas and Conway. So there is that as well. And I'm actually going to give it a seven out of ten. I mean, oh, I did enjoy go. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I was invested as silly as it was. I didn't find myself necessarily picking too many holes in it because I knew what I was going into. But I did definitely appreciate the growth of the character. You know, it's not like, oh, we're just going to reboot it and he's going to, it's going to be like, I don't know, Commando 5, where <laughs> nothing's, nothing's changed and it's still the same dude doing the same stuff. So I, I definitely appreciate that. And I like the fact that they introduced some new characters to be within his group. So, so it was definitely a fun watch indeed. So it's seven out of 10 for me. So when it comes to go. recommend, yes, yeah, so when it comes to recommendations, Keith, do you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners on the, this particular episode? Uh, it- if they they appreciate the original Conan, this Conan, and then the tie-in movie Red Sonia, which we'll be reviewing soon, um, mm-hmm. I would recommend Running Man, 
a little red heat. There was another one of those, you know, cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Uh, last, definitely last action hero. That is the cliche movie to end all action movies. He, he's playing an action hero who doesn't realize he's an action hero. It's a great fun time. I love that. I am. I might actually also recommend folks. If you feel like reading something aside, of course, from the, the stories that I'd recommended in our previous episode, obviously the Howard original Conan stories, I would definitely suggest you check out something like Beowulf. I mean, I I want to make a premise here. It's not the easiest going because bear in mind, it's translated from Middle English into current English. So if you are, you know, a little bit uh, concerned about that, it can be a little bit rough going, but it's it's, there's definitely a payoff and it definitely is a rewarding story. If you like the whole concept of sword and sorcery, this is very much one of the granddaddies of epic poems of a hero literally fighting monsters, wizards, you name it, and going to all sorts of places. So I would definitely suggest the original Beowulf. And another one, which I would suggest, which is, you know, I guess more mythological, which was also one of the first of its time, the the legend of Gilgamesh, I will also suggest, because that's another character that somewhat reminds me of the characters that we would get like Beowulf, like Conan, where it is very much a strong and powerful warrior against all odds. And he's literally against gods. So and you, and that one is you can actually find it as prose, but not literally translate. So it does flow a little bit better than million versions of Gilgamesh, of the story of Gilgamesh, will have been which are out there, but definitely check it out. That was one of the first ones that literally got me into mythology in general. Before I discovered Greek mythology or Roman mythology or Viking mythology, Gilgamesh was where I started and I fell in love with it. So those are the ones I'm going to go with, I guess. I guess those are, those are my picks. So, of course, dear listeners, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by hitting us up uh, email-wise at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is uh, happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Share your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod. And uh, Keith, when, if folks want to interact with you and find you, where, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um... Unfortunately, due to my witness protection status, I cannot tell anybody where they can find me. So they'll just have to keep listening. I see. (laughs) Very well. We respect that. When it comes to me, folks, you can find me hosting the country music radio show, Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More about that, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to check out also Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend are reviewing all the movies that won Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. In two weeks' time, we will be taking on our next movie, and definitely looking forward to that. We recently reviewed The English Patient. Our next one, of course, will be Titanic. And also, if you superhero TV shows are your speed, myself and Charles Skaggs are returning as of this month to the Fandom Zone, where we will be reviewing the ninth and final season of the CW show, The Flash. And speed things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on another Richard Fleischer film from 1985, as Keith alluded to, and that film is entitled Red Sonja thus completing our OG Robert E. Howard-inspired Swords and Sorcery trilogy from the 80s. So, uh, Keith, uh, anything you'd like to add before we sign off? No, as I always, which is kind of like my cliche 
catchphrase or whatever is, you know, I'm looking forward to this one. This is very reminiscent of my youth. So to go down memory lane, watching the original, the sequel, and now the, you know, the trilogy for lack of a better term, you know, I, I can't wait. I'm definitely looking forward to this one as well. Uh, it's uh, I, it's been a long time since I watched this, but it uh, did really allow me to just <laughs> yes, it did allow me though to discover the beauty of Bridget Nielsen. I will say that. So uh, so it definitely has particular memories for me as a as a young boy growing up. So I guess, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Red Sonia. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.